Welcome to the podcast, I'm your host Remy, a computerized animated voice. This is Simple Reflections of Christianity, where we look at the issues of Christianity in today's world and seek the wisdom of our peers from antiquity. And we do all this in plain English for the average person. Too often issues are spoken with scholarly jargon and thus making it inaccessible to the average person. We are not all working on our PhDs here. So, the scriptural references will be from the authorized version Cambridge 1873 King James unless otherwise stated. Many, of the references will be the peers of antiquity who spoke on the topics we will have in our discussions. Thank you for joining in and of course please like, subscribe and follow for more message like this. We can all learn a thing or two from the saints who have gone before us. And we can also see the errors which have popped their ugly head up as well. Thanks again and welcome to Simple Reflections of Christianity podcast with me Remy, you host. I, concerning the gospel, and the hindrances to believe it. 1. The word gospel properly signifies good news or glad tidings, and may be used to denote good news of any kind, but the gospel, eminently so called, is a message sent or brought to us from heaven of good things. The substance of it is, to declare to the fallen, condemned sinners of the human race, that Jesus is the Christ, who came into the world to save the chief of sinners, that God hath given us eternal life, and that this life is in His Son, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, and see. All these things taken together in their blessed and extensive import, as centering in one point, are the Gospel. And these things are told us openly and freely, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, we might have life through His name, or in what is declared concerning him as the Savior. This gospel was preached to Adam, in the first promise, to Abraham, in its being told him, that in his seed all the nations of the earth should be blessed, to Israel typically, in the whole system of sacrifices, prophetically, in the Psalms, and in all the prophets, and it is now exhibited to us, historically and doctrinally, in the New Testament, in the relation it gives us of the birth, life, death, resurrection, and glorification of our Lord Jesus, and the account it gives us of the true and glorious design of all these things. Were we to sum up the whole, we shall find it to be, as to its general subject, a declaration of free and full salvation in Jesus Christ, addressed to lost, helpless, and condemned sinners. The redemption obtained by Jesus Christ, is presented to our view as quite necessary for our salvation, as quite suitable to our condition, as quite free for our encouragement, and as quite full or complete for our supply. 2. This representation is so great and glorious, and contains such joyful particulars, that one would imagine, it could not fail of affording at once the most enlivening light, the most satisfying hope, the most solid joy and spiritual strength and life to our souls. Such is certainly its nature, such is plainly its tendency, and such is its real influence and effect, wherever its meaning, its evidence, and its importance, are understood and received. This we are certain never will be, without the divine teaching or influence of the Spirit of truth and grace. However, hereby the most interesting message, and the most gladdening tidings are brought us. This message some neglect, others misunderstand, some despise, and others dispute it, while many understand it so defectively, that it conveys no more pleasure or satisfaction to their minds than if they had never heard it or did not at all understand it. So that many persons sit under the sound of it, who are very little, if at all, enlivened, encouraged, or attracted thereby. This proceeds from some remaining difficulties or objections, which still possess their minds, and obstruct the joy, satisfaction, hope, and love, 
that would otherwise arise in their minds upon the belief of it. For it is evident, that when this was preached of old, they who heard and understood it were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Acts 13. 48. Let us therefore search a little into this matter and attend to the objections and difficulties which rise in the mind, whereby it comes to pass, that many receive no comfort and advantage to their souls by the declaration of it, so that it proves in reality no gospel to them. For we must necessarily take it for granted, that it is in itself a message of great joy, otherwise, it would not have received the name it bears. It is evident, then, that to many these glad tidings do not convey any pleasure, because they do not appear suited to their wants and desires. It is to them a thing quite foreign from their thoughts and wishes, and so, they despise or neglect it. One says in his heart, if you could bring me tidings of some worldly honors to be freely conferred, or of some large sums of money to be freely given, this would rejoice my heart. Or if you could tell me where and how I might enjoy such and such sensual pleasures, this would be very acceptable. The language spoken by the hearts of others is to this effect, if you could assure me any way, that I could live and indulge myself in sin and see, with hopes of impunity, without fear of death or hell, this would be very good news to me. But it is evident, in both these cases, the sentiments of the heart are directly contrary to the truth of God. For the former account, the world their chief portion, and the latter esteem sin their greatest good. They do not perceive, they do not really believe, the suitableness and importance of the salvation in Jesus Christ to their souls, and therefore, it does not wear the aspect of good news in their view. To others, the proclamation of salvation only in Christ is not good news, because they do not see it to be quite necessary for them. They do not think their case to be really so bad, as a full and free salvation intimates. They do not apprehend themselves quite lost, undone, and helpless, but think they can, they must, and ought to do something towards their own recovery to the favor of God. As the free gospel opposes all such self-sufficient desires and endeavors, it is therefore rather disgusting and offensive. Such as these do not know either themselves or the law or the true God. But after all, there is another great reason why the glad tidings of the blessed gospel do not convey any real satisfaction, and that is, because the proper frenes of divine grace revealed is not discerned nor credited. The language of many persons is this, I do not deny or question the perfection of Christ's work and the frenes of his redemption, I have heard these things, and am persuaded of them, and yet still I feel myself lost, and miserable, and helpless, and do not find that all this conveys any pleasure or satisfaction to my mind, for I have still many objections against myself, and many doubts and difficulties in my mind in relation to my salvation. What these are, or may be, we shall soon attend to. But do you indeed believe the proper freedom of divine grace? How comes it to pass then, that you are not encouraged by, and delighted with it, when it is certain it must be so in any similar ease? If a person in great want be told of a free supply, or a person in debt, ready to be arrested, be told of a free, able, and willing surety, to this fail of giving him pleasure, hope, and satisfaction, on his hearing and believing it? And if it did not, would not every bystander judge, that there must be some mistake or doubt in his mind about it? Dash there must therefore be some defect or mistake in our apprehension, if we have not some satisfying hopes produced in our minds, from the free gospel, of full salvation in Jesus Christ, for an helpless, undone sinner. Let me then represent, as clearly as I can, what must be, or may be, the mistake or doubt in the minds of many. The gospel affords not relief to my mind, says one, because my sin and guilt have been greater than many, than most, or than any others. Mine iniquities have increased over my head, 
and my transgressions mount up to the very heavens. Look where I will, I can find no relief, whether I look backward, inward, forward, or upward, all is dark and dreadful. My case is so peculiar, my sins are so aggravated, and see. I cannot apprehend that divine grace should reach directly to such a one as me. I answer, are any guilty sinners excluded out of the proclamation of grace? If they were, the gospel would cease to be glad tidings, not only to you, but to everyone else, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and if God should mark iniquities, none could stand. You think that the gospel may be joyful tidings to others, but not to you. But why so? You say, because they are not so bad as I am, and have been. This is the same as to say, that because others are in some respects better than you, therefore they have more reason and better ground, to hope in Christ than you have. But whoever thinks thus, it is evident, does not apprehend the grace of God in Christ to be properly and directly free, and he imagines, that lie must be somewhat better than he is, before he may hope in Christ. But we are directly told that Christ came into the world to save the chief of sinners, and that this faithful saying is worthy of all acceptation, and consequently, worthy of your acceptation, whoever you be, or whatsoever you have been. You are right if you think yourself the chief of sinners, but you wrong the grace and gospel of Christ, if you think or say, that you are not as welcome as any sinner upon the face of this earth to the redemption by Jesus Christ. In truth, such despondent and apparently humble confessions, if examined to the bottom, will be found, when they obstruct our hope, to be no more than the conviction and the regret that we want materials for erecting an altar to our pride, that we are destitute of a justifying righteousness, which we are anxiously laboring after, they are but the painful lamentation arising out of the disappointed desire of attaining life, as it were, by the works of the law, and they consist well, if we look into them seriously, with the notion, that there is a great deal of good in our hearts, in our motives, if not in our actions, though there be somewhat lacking, at the same time, to give us perfect confidence before God. Another may be saying in his thoughts, but after all that the gospel reveals, it is no comforting or satisfying news to me, because I remember, that Christ did not purchase this redemption for all mankind, neither has God purposed it for all, and therefore, though I know that those who shall be saved, are saved by grace quite free and sovereign, yet I can be no way comforted by this, because I have no marks or evidences in my favor, to prove that I am of the number of the elected and redeemed. I can therefore only entertain a general possibility, that I may be saved as well as another, but this is far from being sufficient to afford peace to my soul and conscience. I readily reply, it is a real and important truth, that election and redemption are thus particular and sovereign, not universal nor conditional. But remember, though the redemption by Christ is not universal in its intention, yet it is so in its proclamation to be believed for salvation. John the third, 14-19. Read over these verses, and you may see, that here is good news, here are glad tidings indeed, presented to gain the confidence of poor helpless sinners. This free grace requires no previous marks or evidences of our own particular election or redemption, in order to afford immediate relief to the mind, in believing it to be thus open and free. It is true, God by His Word requires us to believe the doctrines of particular election and redemption, in order to give us a view of the sovereignty of His grace, and to prevent us from thinking it to be any way conditional or suspended upon any actings of ours. But yet it does by no means require us to believe our own particular election or redemption, in order to our hope God ward. It presents the redemption of Jesus Christ directly before us as full and free, and wheresoever this takes proper effect upon the mind, conscience and conduct, this is the proper and sure evidence of our own election.
For our election of God is known by the gospel coming with power and circa 1 Thess. I, 4, 5. Say not then, who shall ascend into heaven, to see whether our names are in the book of life. But look into the gospel, and see whether thy name, as a sinner, be not there, and whether the grace therein revealed, is not free for thee, and for any. Another's thought may be working this way, but, alas! After all you can say, or I can find in the word, about the freedom of divine grace, it gives me no satisfaction, for I know that the work of the Holy Spirit is necessary to bring the soul and Christ together, and because I do not find His influence upon my heart, I am therefore greatly perplexed, and at as great a loss almost as if there was no such gospel preached to me. I answer, it is very certain and undoubted, that the Spirit's work is necessary, sovereign, and effectual. But what then? Must we feel or be conscious of any work of the Spirit upon our hearts before we believe the testimony of free grace to the satisfaction of our consciences? If so, this would utterly overturn the open freedom of the grace of God, and the work of the Spirit would be so explained and conceived, as to stand in opposition to the word of the gospel. In my view, there is scarcely a clearer proof of the necessity of the Spirit's work to show us the true grace of God, than the continual propensity appearing in us, thus, to pervert it or mistake it, and to aim at placing even the consciousness of the Spirit's work between a free Christ and our souls. The Spirit's work is to show us the things of Christ, and to make us know the grace of God in the truth. Read the account given of His work and office, in John the 16th. 7-11, and 1 Cor. 2. 9. Minus 19, where it is most fully explained, and there you will see, that His work does by no means stand in opposition to the freedom of gospel grace, but, on the contrary, it is a confirmation of it, for He sets His seal to it, when He brings this free grace to our minds, and so gives us peace and satisfaction from it. The mind of another person may be perplexed in this way, I can receive no satisfaction to my soul from the gospel report, because the scripture says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now I know not whether I am regenerated or no, I cannot find to my satisfaction that I have any principle of grace in my heart, and therefore, I can have no true pleasure or peace, unless I can some way or other be assured of this. In this manner many souls bring an abundance of objections against themselves and make the glad tidings of salvation in Christ of none effect to them, because they conceive, that a consciousness of their own regeneration is previously necessary to peace and hope God ward. But remember, such is the frenness of grace, that an assurance of our being regenerated, is no way previously necessary to our resting our souls upon free forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel. Suppose then you do not know your own regeneration, should this hinder you, should this discourage you, from believing free forgiveness, and so enjoying a conscious interest therein by faith? Remember likewise, that so far as the thought of these defects discourages you, so far, they intimate, that you are seeking your encouragement some way and from yourselves. But behold, all this which you imagine you must be conscious of, to beget and maintain hope towards God, all this, I say, is the effect of the faith of the gospel upon the mind, for we are regenerated by the word of truth. James the first. 18. It is therefore a sense and sight of this free grace truth which lies at the bottom of all the true change made in our thoughts, affections, and conduct. But some may farther say, faith is necessary to salvation, now I cannot find any faith in me, I cannot exert the act of trusting aright. I am not able. I have not strength to believe. I reply, if by this complaint you mean, that you cannot believe divine grace to be so free, that you may directly rest your soul upon it, that you are not persuaded of the free ability of Christ to save to the uttermost, then I 
and called upon to offer evidence for it from the divine word, and to prove it from thence to your conviction, on purpose that you may be persuaded of it, and satisfied by it. But if you still say, I have no doubt about that, only I see and receive no comfort from it, for want of having, in discerning faith, and its exercises and actings in my soul. Then it is evident, you are now conceiving faith, and its actings, in such a light as to be a sort of objection to the open, direct frenes of divine grace, and so instead of believing it, you do in fact object to it. Whereas, if you did really believe it in its proper view, you would not make your one of anything in yourself, call it faith, or by any other name, an objection, but would directly have hope and relief from what you believe concerning the grace of God in Christ, and being thus encouraged and relieved, you would then know experimentally, what it is to hope, trust, love and see, which you strive at otherwise in vain. 1. But to conclude. Some may still say, I cannot, I dare not rest satisfied in the general hope of the gospel, because it does not, it cannot of itself, let me believe it ever so clearly and firmly, assure me of my own particular interest in Christ, or that I shall be saved by Him. The gospel is only a general open proclamation, it does not say directly to anyone, you are elected, redeemed, regenerated, or in a state of salvation. This is indeed a very great entanglement to many minds, and it is often so impressed, as to render the gospel in all its glory and freedom, of but little use to relieve or support the soul. It appears very defective and insufficient under such apprehensions, and hereby many are so distressed, that they are driven to esteem the gospel insufficient, and it aim to introduce or seek after something more than what is therein exhibited, to raise, support, encourage, and strengthen the soul. But I apprehend this arises from one or other of these causes. Either, 1. A defective view of the proper freedom of divine grace, or else, 2. A desire after and an eagerness for such an assurance of salvation, as is neither necessary for us, nor would be useful to us. As to the first, what though the gospel proclamation is open, general, and unrestrained, why may it not exhibit a free welcome, and afford an immediate ground of hope and encouragement, to any sinner as such? If many persons are bidden to a feast, and have all the same welcome, is there a necessity for any of those to have a more special right than the others, to make their way clear? If then in the present case we take God at His word without doubting or disputing, we shall see enough in the free welcome to remove our discouragements, to satisfy our minds, and to give us peace and hope, without wanting or searching for a better warrant or a clearer right than we have in common as sinners, through the free gospel. The openness and unlimitedness of it to sinners as such directly, is so far from being an objection, that it is the very reason why hope and peace is received immediately from it. Were it not so, any particular person may well doubt whether remission and salvation are proclaimed freely to him. But in a full clear view of this freedom, any helpless sinner may say in his heart, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, just in the same sense, as a poor object that is clearly persuaded of a free welcome to a well-furnished table of a friend may say, That person is my friend, therefore I shall never be starved. And as to the other difficulty, it is of this nature. Persons desire to have such an assurance of salvation, as is no way needful at first for our hope God ward. Were we to be directly assured of our own special interest, particular election, and certain salvation, this would open a door for presumption, and an antinomian abuse of the grace of God, which the gospel abhors. There is enough in the mere free gospel, to prevent all tormenting discouragement and anxiety, and to lay a foundation, for the most cordial love and most cheerful and ready obedience towards God in Christ. And upon this principle all the exhortations to trust, love and obedience proceed, 
And indeed, without it, there could be nothing of any of these things truly in our hearts or lives. As to our own particular or special interest, there can be no true satisfaction about it, but in trusting, loving, and obeying upon the footing of the free gospel. Thus there is a security against any abuse, if it be rightly understood, for a person cannot gratify himself in anything contrary to the rules of the word, without saying in his heart, that something besides a free Christ is his hope and portion. Whereas, on the other hand, while we proceed upon gospel principles in our affections and practice, we shall not be destitute of the witness and seal of the Spirit to our adoption. The intention of all that has been said, is only to show that the proper, immediate, unconditional freedom of divine grace, is that which stands foremost in the gospel declaration, and that it is this which constitutes it properly gospel, to poor, perishing, helpless, condemned sinners of mankind. There is nothing previous to this freedom of grace, nothing seen, felt, heard, or understood, that can afford any degree of true belief to the distressed soul or guilty conscience. While this mere grace is so rich, full, and free, that it is sufficient in the hands of the Divine Spirit to give immediate and proper relief. Wheresoever this is properly understood and really credited, in its evidence and importance, it is such good news that it conveys peace and rest to the mind before God and so it is verified, we which have believed do enter into rest, H-E-B. 4. 3. And this comfortable satisfaction is such as becomes the spring of all gospel love, patience, repentance, and obedience, in a continued belief and view of this free love proclaimed in the blessed gospel. Neither are those true and important doctrines of distinguishing grace, any way opposite to, denied by, or inconsistent with this free gospel hope. For it is this free grace gospel believed, or which is the same, it is the grace of God in Christ known and believed which pacifies the conscience, comforts the heart, strengthens the soul, purifies the affections, and attracts to love and obedience. Those who are thus pacified, comforted, and see, are true believers, who live by the faith of the Son of God, in a continued dependence upon and regard to Christ as their light, life, joy, strength, and portion. These shall certainly persevere, for God has by His Spirit, through the Word, put His fear and shed abroad His love in their hearts, that they might not depart from Him. Blessed are they that know the joyful sound, they shall walk in the light of God's countenance, for the more they know of it, and enjoy the holy satisfaction flowing from it, the more they appear to be under the real influence of the blessed spirit of truth and grace, the more evident both to themselves and others, is their election, their particular redemption, their real regeneration and effectual calling. For God hath chosen His people to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, and belief of the truth, whereunto they are called, by the gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Thess. 2. 13, 14. And oh, may the Lord the Spirit make every one of us know more and more the excellency and glory of this free grace, and remove those clouds that frequently interpose between the Son of Righteousness and our souls, that we may be filled with all joy and peace in believing, and so may abound in hope and in true holiness, through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs>